0: There is no such thing as a great first draft. You have to start with a crappy first draft.
1: I'd like to welcome Daphne Gray Grant to the Productivities Podcast. Thanks for joining me today, Daphne. Hi, Mike. Great to be here. All right, let's get into it. Why are you no longer a night owl? What was wrong with it? I say it's okay (laughs) to be a night owl. And right out of the gate, First thing I see I, when we start looking at your stuff is like a former night owl. I'm like, what happened?
0: Yeah, I loved being a night owl. You know, most of the time when I was younger, I would go to bed around 2 a.m. And I'd have to be dragged out of bed kicking and screaming at 8 a.m. But uh, against my will, totally against my will, I turned into a morning lark almost overnight. And it was so distressing and alarming to me. I actually went to see a sleep doctor about it. And uh, he couldn't explain it either, but uh, a morning lark is what I am now. And I have to say, in terms of society, it's very clear to me that society gives great preference to morning larks. My life is actually easier as a morning lark than it was as a night
1: owl. I believe it. I definitely believe it. Um, one of the things that I, I noticed as we were going through some of the, the work that you've done is a lot, you, you seem to exp, have adopted... Some of the things that, that are either, like you said, make life easier. Like, and again, this is totally by accident becoming a a morning, a morning lark. but also the treadmill desk, like the walking while typing. Um, I know that AJ Jacobs, who's been on the show before he's talked about this. I've had other guests on the show that say, Hey, you know, they walk and type at the same time using a treadmill desk. What led you to that? And why, like, what was the challenges to try to make that happen on a, on a regular basis?
0: Okay. Oh, I have some good stories about this because I have always, always enjoyed walking. I've been a big walker since I was about 10 years old. I remember being a really little kid and walking down to the beach, which was down a big hill in my city and, you know, quite a long walk, but uh, I I always loved doing that. And uh, before I got the treadmill desk, I would walk in my neighborhood before writing. So that was a kind of a typical thing I would do. I would get up leave my desk, go outside, go for a walk, and then come back and write. And then I was at a conference in California a number of years ago and talking to someone else who was attending, and she made a comment about treadmill desks. And I looked at her in shock and I said, I can't believe such a thing really exists. And, and she said, oh, well, Google it. So I Googled it, Googled it and I found I forget how many million entries and, and thought, holy cow, that's that's really incredible. So I did a little bit of research on it, but it seemed too scary and expensive to me at the time. And a couple of years after that, I have chronic back pain. So that was part of my motivation for wanting to change up my writing habits. So I thought, well, maybe what I can do is get a standing desk. That seemed less scary than a treadmill desk. So I got the standing desk and it was blindingly expensive. It's one of those ones where you press a button. So it's um, very easy to use. You don't have to hand crank it. You just press a button and you can stand up, sit down, whatever you like. But I found I hated standing because what would happen is I chronically stand on kind of one hip. And so I'm slouched in one direction. And that was making my back pain even worse. And so I eventually thought, oh, I lost a bunch of money on this desk, but I'm just going to have to go back to sitting. And then about a year later, I thought, hey, I wonder if I could get a treadmill that I could just plop underneath Mm. the standing desk. And so I went to a sporting goods store and found out that, yes, indeed, they make those. So with great trepidation, I bought one. I actually took my husband with me to, for it to pass the quietness test because my office is in a loft at the top of our house, directly above a couple of bedrooms.
1: And, yeah, the, mo- uh, the motor. Yeah, I, I bet. <laughs> oh, yeah,
0: yeah, I thought, oh, if it's this is really noisy. I'm going to be in trouble. But it, it passed the husband test. He said, no, no, that's fine. So got it into my office, and I just took to it immediately. There was no problem at all. The, ol- the only challenge was that I didn't want to have to walk for six or eight hours a day. I wanted to be able to spend a little bit of time sitting. And I initially had a uh, one of those kind of Uh, cushy mats that I would stretch across the treadmill and I could put my chair on top of that. But it was always kind of a bit unbalanced and Mm -hmm. I was at risk of toppling over in the middle of phone calls with clients, which was not an ideal situation. So my husband very kindly built me a little plywood platform and it's propped up on the wall behind my treadmill. And then when I want to sit, I just drop the plywood platform down, plop my chair on top of that. And I sit Generally I'll sit for 30 minutes at a time and then I'll move the chair and I'll walk for at least at least 30 minutes or more likely an hour. So I I toggle back and forth between walking and sitting all day long. But when I'm writing, I am always trying to walk because boy it sure helps the writing process.
1: Let's let's dive into the writing process and what led you to become a, a publication good. like somebody who is is you know not just doing your own writing? Cause you're very prolific. I mean, one of the things you talk about is like writing over 117,000 words a year for your blog alone, but also helping others get their writing done. What, what, what made you passionate about that? And then putting that kind of the productivity practices into writing.
0: Right. Well, I'd say the story for me was that I was never a born writer. I think people are kind of born one of two ways. They find editing more comfortable or they find writing more comfortable. And boy, I was born finding editing more comfortable. And I was really, really good at it. So when I was a kid in high school, I would edit my friend's essays. When I was at university, I did the same thing. I just had this natural aptitude for editing. The difficulty with that, though, is anytime you have a natural aptitude for something, it often means you're shutting down kind of the reverse of that and and for me that was writing i always hated writing i found it difficult and i had a hard time waiting until i could actually edit what it was that i'd written mm-hmm. and so as a result of that i developed the really bad habit of editing while i wrote right. and i didn't even understand that was a problem it was just the way i wrote and in fact, it was the way my father wrote as well. He was an editor and I remember being a little kid and he had an office at home and sitting on the couch in his office and watching him type at a typewriter and he'd have this Gatling gun kind of typing, wham, wham. wham, 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 wham and then he would dramatically pull the paper out of the keyboard and attack it with a red pencil. So he would write and right away, edit what he'd written. And I thought that that was normal. I thought that's what being a writer was. And what I learned, I I, I ended up working in the newspaper business for a number of years and always editing while I wrote or directly after I'd written. And um, when I left the newspaper business and started to freelance, I knew that I had to really repair my writing habit which was just so uncomfortable and so broken for me that I spent about probably about a year doing research talking to other writers reading books discovering everything I could about the writing process and it was at that point I learned that writing while sorry editing while you write is a really damaging process so I resolved to break the habit it took me about 4 to 6 months to do that Um, In my case, I think it took me a long time because I've been a professional writer and a professional editor, and that habit was so deeply ingrained in me that it was a hard one to break. So for people who don't write quite as much or who haven't written for quite as long, it's probably a little bit easier to break. But I have worked with hundreds of clients now and helped them break that habit, and they all say to me that they actually enjoy writing as a result, and that is certainly what I found as
1: well let's let's dive into the idea of trying to get writing done when you mentioned that you' you're doing it in your loft, your husband, the bedroom's down below. you're now you're a morning person, so what time do you get up in the morning to start this practice and and how do you manage to be so prolific uh, besides the fact that you've done that, and that's a huge thing, because I know I struggle with it too, and I still do, the idea of editing while writing um is such a uh a, a challenge because um you forget you, you don't want that first draft to be messy. You want it to be like okay, this is the this is the golden goose. This is the one. How do you <laughs> how do you manage to stay um like how do you set up and, and structure your day in a way that allows you to be prolific and yet uh not and not get pulled away from the distractions and and, and you and you have like triplets. Uh, now they're mostly adults. <laughs> yeah. But but still um that's a lot to kind of juggle, right?
0: Yeah. 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 It is a lot to juggle, but I would say, so you've kind of worked two questions into there. So Mm -hmm. let me, let me answer them one at a time. The first is that I think it's really important to adopt the mindset that your first draft should be what I call a crappy first draft, right? Don't ever try to write a great first draft because that's only going to make work more difficult for yourself. Mm -hmm. So not only satisfy yourself with a crappy first draft, but aspire to a crappy first draft. I think as people who are writing and interested in the work of other writers, most of us have bookshelves filled with books written by very successful, well-known writers. And we somehow imagine that they came out of those writers' brains that way, You know, almost perfect bound, right? Mm-hmm. And in fact, they came out of the writers' brains as crappy first drafts. And then the writers would have done a lot of work editing it themselves to make it good enough to hand in to a professional editor. And then the professional editor would have done a bunch of work on it and sent it back to the author and the author would have done more work. And then it would have gone to a copy editor and the copy editor would have done a bunch of work. And then it would go back to the author again and they would review it and then it would go to typesetting. I mean, the production of any book is a multi multi multi-faceted process and a great many people are involved in it. So there is no such thing as a great first draft. You have to start with a crappy first draft. Um, there's a there was a writer named Brendan Gill who was famous in the U.S. in the 30s and 40s, 1930s and 1940s, and he he's not that well known now, not well remembered. But <clears throat> in his day, he was widely seen as one of the most elegant and talented stylists writing in the in the US. He wrote for the New Yorker, widely respected, almost revered. And if you had asked someone in the 30s or 40s, you know, who's one of the most talented writers in the US, they could well have said Brendan Gill. But here was Brendan Gill's dirty little secret. He rewrote everything he wrote 17 times. Wow. 17 times. That was his standard for excellence. So he had, he probably had more than one crappy first draft, right? Mm-hmm. It, what comes out of your brain the first time is unimportant. What it does is it gives you something to edit. That's all you need. You need something to edit. You cannot edit a blank page, but you can edit a crappy first draft. And so that's what I say to people. If, in fact, if their first draft isn't crappy enough, then that's a sign that they were probably editing while they wrote. And that's a problem. Aspire to a crappy first draft, and I think your writing process will go much, much better.
1: We'll we'll circle back to the other question in a second, but how long have you found? Because uh, this is something that um, the making of my my book took a long time, not because I sat down to write it, but it was almost the the, the creation of it. And we're going to get to the idea of mind mapping here in a little bit as well. Cause that's a lot of that process for me. How uh-huh. long, how long have you found? And I, I think I know what you're going to say to this, but I'm going to ask anyway, in terms <laughs> of getting that first draft done, what, what's a good timeline for people? Cause people like to have that idea of, okay, well, first draft should take this long. Is yeah. the, what, what, what is a reasoned approach to this?
0: Well, the first thing I'll say is that everybody has their own natural writing rhythm. So I'm never going to say you ought to be able to write 500 words in 30 minutes. Some people can write 500 words in 30 minutes. Some people to write 500 words, it might take them an hour and a half, you know, And, and there is not a right or a wrong associated with that. So for that reason, I like to speak in percentages. And what I say is that if you look at the jobs associated with writing something, think about them as falling into three categories. The first is all the work you need to do to prepare to write. And then the second is the act of writing itself. So that is where your fingers are going over the keyboard. And then the third is the act of rewriting and editing. So three separate jobs. And the ratio that I recommend is spending 40% of your time preparing to write. 20% of your time writing, and 40% of your time editing. So I've just given away my own punchline. When I do writing (laughs) workshops, what I generally do is I stand in front of the room and I ask people to write down what they think, what percentage they think they spend on each of those tasks. And I have to tell you, the vast majority of people spend way too much time writing. Quote unquote." But of course, they know what they're doing. They're mushing together the writing and the editing, which means they don't spend nearly enough time either preparing to write or doing the editing after the fact.
1: It's almost like making a film, like the pre-production and the post-production take longer, but the actual production itself takes the least amount of time.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's it.
1: Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make, or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it, and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android, and Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the plan to eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. All right, we're going to take a break from the discussion But we'll be back to talk to Daphne in just a few moments. But first, I want to talk about our sponsors. And I got to say that life is busy. Life is busy for all of us. Life is busy for me. And that's why I'm really happy to be able to get meals delivered to me, healthy, nutritious meals for my family. You can do that with every plate. You can experience full plates and fuller wallets with America's best value kit. You'll get meals that you will enjoy and your family will enjoy and your bank account will love because they're not gonna cost you an arm and a leg and they're delivered right to your door. Think of it this way, one meal is the same price as one cup of coffee. Every plate dinners are the cheaper alternative to takeout or delivery and recipes come together in about 30 minutes, so you save a ton of time. That's definitely faster than a trip to the grocery store and starting a meal from scratch. Every plate also offers contactless delivery to your doorstep for easy home cooking on a budget. And you'll never buy more ingredients than you need because every plate's recipes come with everything already pre measured. And every plate now offsets 100% of their carbon emissions. So if you're conscious about the environment, you should be. Every plate has you covered there as well. Every plate does the meal planning, shopping and prepping for you, taking the time consuming guesswork out of cooking, and they're easy to follow recipes and pre portioned ingredients take the stress out of dinner time. Now is the time for you to give every plate a try. You'll love it. And you'll love this deal for productivity podcast listeners even more. You'll get three weeks of every plate meals for only $2.99. That's $2.99 per meal you just need to go to everyplate.com and then enter the code timecrafting3 that's the number 3 so that's a that's a crazy deal 3 weeks of everyplate meals for only $2.99 per meal by going to everyplate.com and then entering the code timecrafting3 that's t i m e c r a f t i n g and then the number 3 you do not want to miss this opportunity again go to everyplate.com Enter the code timecrafting3 and get three weeks of every plate meals for only $2.99 per meal. Save time, save money, and eat well. Check out what every plate has to offer today. I've been using BetterHelp for the past several weeks, and I've been able to communicate with my own licensed professional therapist after BetterHelp assessed my needs and then matched me up with my therapist. I've had a couple of video calls with my therapist. I've done some text communications. I've actually filled out some forms, uh, some assessment forms that she's put into the BetterHelp portal. It's been a fantastic experience so far. And I want you to be able to have that kind of experience as well. So if you're finding things are interfering with your happiness, or if something is preventing you from achieving your goals, BetterHelp can and will help. You can connect in a safe and private online environment. I've been able to do this from the comfort of my own home, in my office, using my computer. But you can use your iOS devices as well. or That's what I've also been using. And you can start communicating with your therapist, the one that's been matched up with you, thanks to BetterHelp, in under 24 hours. And this is not self-help. I want you to keep this in mind. Very important. It is professional. Counseling, and you can send a message to your counselor anytime. I can do it right now. As soon as I'm done recording this promotional spot, I can do it right after this. And there are licensed professional counselors who are specialized in a wide variety of areas: trauma, self-esteem, grief, relationships, anxiety, stress, anger, family conflicts. There's lots of things, and you know, you're not alone. There are there, there are people that can help you if you are if you're struggling with these sort of things. You're finding things challenging. BetterHelp can help. It's committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed as well. So if you find you're matched up with someone who's not working with you, you can make a change and switch counselors. I have to say another benefit of BetterHelp is it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available and the service is available for clients worldwide. So why should you choose BetterHelp? Well, anything you share is confidential. BetterHelp is convenient. BetterHelp is professional. It's affordable. In fact, you know, so many people have started using BetterHelp and have been using it. They are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I am getting a lot out of BetterHelp, and I want you to be able to experience the same kind of benefits I have been by using BetterHelp. So, as a listener of the Productivities Podcast you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash timecrafting. I want you to start living a happier life today. So join over 1 million people, myself included, who are taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash timecrafting. You owe it to yourself to do this. Contact BetterHelp today. Go to betterhelp.com slash timecrafting right now. And get 10% off your first month today. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know I'm a big fan of Text Expander, and I'm happy to have them as a sponsor of the podcast. But if you're working with a team, Text Expander can help you out as well. You know, you can supercharge your team, like really level up their productivity with the power of Text Expander. They can do more with the same resources, so there's less repetition and fewer errors and Greater consistency with your messaging. It, it's just it's just a better way to stay all on the same page and save time in the process. You'll keep your team consistent, accurate, and current. And you can use Text Expander's powerful shortcuts on your own as well. You can use the abbreviations to streamline and speed up everything that you type. I do this with podcast guest requests. I do this with several of the types of emails that i send so it speeds up my email process to the point where i can actually respond to emails and that's something that i think a lot more people should strive to do i was reading an, a piece by guest austin cleon a former guest not too long ago he listened to his show episode in the archives and he talks about like you know what would you rather have me do you know make art uh, and do the things i do or, or, or respond to emails and Those sort of things. And I'm I'm paraphrasing and maybe being a bit reductive here. But the point is, is text expanders allowing me to do better at that email, at that communication, because I can speed up the process, right? But back to the team thing, if you're working with teammates, well, you can share your snippets of messaging, like those email messages I was talking about, signatures, so any email signatures you use, and descriptions, so the common things that you want everyone to see with everyone. Especially those who work on projects with you. Text Expander is available for a wide variety of platforms Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, iPad, so you're covered there. And if you want to be covered with savings, well, Text Expander has a deal for you right now as well for Productivity as Podcast listeners. All you need to do is visit Textexpander.com slash podcast and you'll get 20% off your first year. You're going to save a ton of time and a ton of energy by using Text Expander. So just go right now to Textexpander.com slash podcast right now. Choose the Productivity as Podcast from the drop down menu. That way, Text Expander knows that I sent you their way and you'll get 20% off your first year. I can't thank Text Expander enough for all the time they've saved me and for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. So go ahead, go to textexpander.com slash podcast, get that 20% discount off your first year today. And now let's get back to my conversation with Daphne Gray-Grant here on the Productivityist podcast. All right, let's shift gears for a second and uh, talk about mind mapping because that's an area that I've spent a lot of time in and it's something that it's interesting because um, it's something that I have often had this uh, thought that I'm not doing right. And I know that that's weird. Um, <laughs> I know that that's weird. I know that's like, well, Mike, how can you mind map incorrectly? Um, <laughs> but can you share some of the tactics that you've and I know you've talked about this. I'm going to link to show, uh, the show notes. Not only. When Pete was on, um, Pete Macitus was on this program, but also you appeared on his podcast, "How to Be Awesome at Your Job." Um, right. So, can you share a couple of tidbits that help people break past the bias of, or this this view of, well, I'm not, I don't know how to mind map, or I'm not doing it right. So. I'm not going to spend enough time in it or I'm not, or I'm, I've got to get the app. Cause that's the other thing too. I've got to get the perfect mind mapping app to do it properly because it'll sure. speed everything up. Like, can you share some of your insights on this? Cause I think it's a, it's a topic that doesn't get enough attention.
0: Yes. Yes. Well, for a couple of years it was taught widely in schools, but that seems to, it seems to have become a bit passe nowadays, right. which is really too bad because it is such a valuable tool for writers. I call it a little bit of fairy dust because boy, it can take you from feeling totally disinterested and uninspired about what it is you need to write to blaring with enthusiasm about what it is you want to write. But just for those who might not be familiar with mind mapping, this is a system that allows you to brainstorm with yourself. And so there are a couple of specific things that you need to do. The first is you take a piece of paper and you turn it sideways. This is really, really important. So I'll just say it three times. Turn the paper sideways. Turn the paper sideways. Turn the freaking paper sideways.
1: What are you supposed I, to do again? Sorry. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I, the reason I go crazy on this is because I teach workshops and I might have a hundred people in the room and I will tell them all the number one thing is to turn the piece of paper sideways and then we'll do a mind map as a group together. And then I'll have them do one on their own and I'll walk around the room to see how everyone is doing. And out of every hundred people people five don't have the paper turned sideways (laughs) (laughs) anyways turn piece of paper sideways and then the other specific thing i recommend about mind mapping and this has not been found in the literature anywhere else tony buzzin is the big guy about mind mapping based in london england now Um, the person whose work i really like is gabriel loser rico r-i-c-c-o because she writes about mind mapping with respect to writing in particular. She calls it clustering rather than mind mapping. But she and Tony Buzin both came up with their first books on the subject at about the same time. Anyways, neither of them suggest, they both suggest putting the topic in the center of the page. What I suggest doing is putting a question in the center of the page. And the reason I find this work so much better for writers is because questions are inherently provocative. So you ask yourself a question and you are going to want to answer it. You put a topic on the page, you might want to answer it, you might not. But you ask yourself a question, your brain will be racing to give you an answer. So make it a question. And then you write that in the center of the page, you draw a circle around it, and then you brainstorm with yourself about the answers to that question. So you just write them on the page, draw circles around each of them and draw a line with them relating them to the previous circle that inspired that thought. Now, one of the things that Tony Buzin makes a big deal about is he says, well, you can do drawings and he encourages people to draw. Right. I yeah. don't know about you, Mike, but... I am hopeless when it comes to drawing. And my mother was a visual artist. (laughs) She was extraordinarily talented. And that talent just skipped my generation. And so you ask me to draw, it stresses me out. I start to sweat and hyperventilate. I just do not want anything to do with drawing. But if you do like to draw, you can draw instead of using words. Um, Another trick you can use is you can use colored pencils. So, you know, my creative brain can wrap its mind around that yeah love color so.
1: and I love using so to, to just quickly sidebar is I'm not a great drawer but I love sketch noting Mike Rody mm-hmm. came up with a like the sketch note or this digital right. kind of so I try to incorporate that into it because it, it does make the color makes it pop but also when I sketch note it definitely I know what it is as opposed to just a, a note it's like oh this is a mind map
0: right. Right. Yes. And that's a good message to keep giving yourself so that it is a mind map. It's it's more relaxed. The order in which you come up with ideas is unimportant and irrelevant. They pop into your brain. You just write them down. Whatever yeah, a bit, you. A
1: want bit more pick. empathy towards yourself in those situations. Yes.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now, you did mention something else when we first started talking about mind mapping. And I really do want to address this. And this is the question of what the best app is for mind mapping. And I do have an app that I use, um, but I don't use it to prepare the mind map. I only use it if I've done a mind map by hand that I want to keep. And that's because I have such horrific handwriting that my handwriting looks like I'm a 93 year old arthritic. I mean, I just, if it's more than a day old, I cannot read my own notes myself. So if I have a mind map that for whatever reason I want to keep, I will transcribe it into the software so I can read the typewritten word rather than having to decipher my own handwriting. But there is a lot of evidence that you should not be using apps to create mind maps because what you want is you want to be in that very relaxed Diffuse devil-may-care kind of mind frame when you are mind mapping that is the creative brain and you want to be using your creative brain when you're writing and if you um, mind map in a very relaxed way You're best able to do that with a pencil or pens or colored pens and paper than you are with a computer keyboard So for that reason, I generally advise people to steer clear of apps, unless like me, they want to save them for whatever reason. And then I would suggest transcribing it after you've done it by hand, because you're going to get way better results doing it by hand.
1: And another thing is a lot of people like to use like tablets for this because it does have that, that level of correlation. But the problem with using apps for that is the mind mapping apps are still very much a type kind of thing. They're not yes written so you'd have to use a tool like if you're on ios you would have to use a tool like good notes or something like that to make it actually work because you're drawing with it or paper or something like that yeah paper but you wouldn't be able uh, out of curiosity because i know there are some app nerds in here what's the app that you do use
0: i use uh it's called illis no i'm oh i'm just blanking on it it's just let me see i haven't used it in a while because i haven't wanted to save a mind map um it's, it was aimed at children. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. There's several.
1: There's, there's iThoughts HD, which I know of. There's there's even Scapple, which is what people would use for Scrivener when people were using Scrivener for writing. Scapple and Scrivener kind of go hand in hand. So I was mm-hmm. thinking that that might be for writers. I know that, that there are a lot of writers that MyMap, that's kind of what they, if, if they're using Scrivener. And we'll get into some self-publishing talk here in a minute, too, because yes. I know Scrivener is one of those tools that yeah. can lead to that. But yeah. again, I think, yeah, like to your point, um, there's something about paper. There's just something about it where it, it, it's it's it got that, like it's got that, that organic component to it that right. gives you the freedom to feel like, feel out the process as opposed to, you know, okay, well now that this is in a digital space, I don't want to lose it, so I've got to put it into the big, you know what I mean?
0: Yes, yes, I know exactly what you mean. And, and while we're on this topic though, let me just say one other thing. Yeah, I am sure. frequently asked the question, whether or not it makes more sense to write, not mind map, but to write on a keyboard or by hand. And the evidence about this is also quite conclusive. If you are writing, you're going to be way better off writing on a keyboard rather than by hand. And that's because our brains are really smart and powerful. They're kind of like supercomputers connected Mm. to bodies by our necks. And we can think really, really quickly. And if our hands can keep up with how fast we're thinking, then writing is going to be a lot faster and a lot easier. And so I don't know how many words you can write by hand in a minute, but I can type about 80 words per minute. There's no way I can write by hand 80 words a minute. So um, you should do whatever is the fastest and easiest for you. And for most people, that's going to be typing.
1: Yeah, You know my process is is I, I love writing things out on paper for the like the feeling out process of it but mm-hmm. i'm also somebody who loves to i use the app drafts on my apple watch and on my ios devices as my general writing for everything kind of thing and i i'm i'm a big fan of dictation for oh, yeah. getting it yeah. out there but there's mm-hmm. something about and i did this with my book and it uh, i i dictated a lot of the first draft i'd say almost mm-hmm. all of it but when it came to before I even um, – because I had to go through it. Uh, dictation is, n- is not an exact science. I don't care which dictation <laughs> app you use. So it gave me – I didn't look at this as editing because I had to go back and make sure that, like, the words actually made sense from something, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. And I was very cautious not to uh, curate at that point. I was very like, okay, I just need them to know what this word is because, you know – seriously came out as Siri C or something like that. Like it needed to, <laughs> yeah. it needed to be, um, you, you seem to be in favor of dictation. What role do you think that plays?
0: You know, I would say I'm in favor of dictation for people who are keen about the process and enthused by it. So some people do find it very much easier to write by dictation. Other people don't. But if you do find it easier, it's a really, really good way to go as long as you have good software for it. Mm. Um, I, I used Dragon Dictate, which yep. I really, really liked. Unfortunately, I'm on a Mac and they discontinued support uh, of Dragon Dictate for Mac. And so when I upgraded my computer, I lost Dragon Dictate. Very, very sad. And I, I haven't been able to replace it yet.
1: So, I know that drafts, if you're if you're interested, and I know this is a bit of a sidebar, but people who do, there are a lot of people here that like to like to find the efficient way to do things. And what I like about Drafts is it does have a long dictation form added to it on iOS. So oh, okay. so you if you just normally dictate on iOS, there mm-hmm. is a cutoff. It cuts you off at a certain point, but with oh, Drafts, okay. it doesn't it doesn't. Good so you can go, and the nice thing about drafts is that then when you're done with it, so what I would do is I would then migrate it to Google Drive, right? Right. So Google Docs, really. And then mm-hmm. I would edit it there, and that's when I got in front of the, the keyboard and typed. And there is something, again, there's there's an inherent difference between say, you know writing something out, like scribbling something out on paper, saying something, and then I'm I've gone even so far as to have like a tactile keyboard, like the old style oh, clackety. I love, it. I love yeah. that thing. Yeah. Um there it just feels like writing. I don't mm-hmm. write on my iMac at all. Um mm-hmm. I will pull my writing desk down, because I have a writing desk, and then I will write on my iPad using this low-free four seasons keyboard that's that's a Bluetooth keyboard that has, you know, it's it's a it's a, a, it's, I can't remember the title of it. The the old stool keyboards, um, the, it's, it's tactile, right? So it's, right. It, I right. call it the clickety clackety keyboard. That's what I yeah. call it. But, <laughs> but, but, but there's something, I think that the key for me was always to create an environment where I knew what the tool was that I needed to use so that mm-hmm. it helped me get into the mindset that I needed to be in. And I yeah. imagine that that's something that you have to, not only work on yourself, but when you're working with people, that's something that you have to kind of cultivate as well. And, and even, even maybe even establish and then cultivate.
0: Yeah. I mean, for sure. Not everyone is wired the same way and different approaches suit different people. So I think there are a few things that I could say would work for 99% of people. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, a few things that are going to work for a smaller percentage. But um, for me, mind mapping, provided people do it in the right way, really makes a huge difference to most people. And so one of the little tricks I have, because I find a number of people who get some instruction on mind mapping, whether from me or from books or from somewhere else, will often say, Oh, I tried mind mapping and it didn't work for me. So I will get them to scan a couple of mind maps and send them to me and I can do a diagnosis of why those mind maps aren't working for them. And that's that 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 tends to be very helpful for most people. Um, because a couple of things that people often do wrong is they'll often put too many words on the mind map. Mm. So it's not necessary to have tons and tons of words on the mind map, you just need enough that, that are able to remind you of the point you want to make or remember, that's all you need. So, um, that's a, that's an issue or a mistake I find people frequently make. And then the other thing is they'll often have two too many words just to explain every point. So I like to say that the little bubbles on mind maps, they should be kind of like labeled coat hooks. Mm. So, you Mm. know, Johnny's coat, Susie's coat, you know, dad's umbrella, mom's gardening gloves, whatever, you know, they're little labels and they're just designed to remember, to remind you of the point you wanna make when you're going to write this piece. And that should be enough that you don't need to put any more details about those particular items on the mind map. Um, The other question that people often ask me, they get a little bit mystified by this, is how do you go from a mind map to starting to write? Right. And this, this is where the magic part of it really kicks in. And what I say is that one mind map doesn't equal one piece of writing. So what you should do when you're mind mapping is you want to mind map until you actually have what I describe as the aha experience. And that experience is where, oh, now I know what I want to say. And all of a sudden you're overcome with excitement and the urge to write. You suddenly feel enthusiastic about the idea of writing and You might not even need to finish the first mind map to have those feelings. As soon as you have those feelings, you should stop mind mapping and start writing. A mind map is not an outline, it's not an organizational tool, it's an inspirational tool. Mm -hmm. So once you have that inspiration, then just start writing. Now, more typically, people will finish the first mind map and they won't have had the aha experience. So, what I say to them is, we will do a second mind map, but make the question in the center of the page different. So use your first mind map to come up with a different question to ask in the center of the page for the second mind map. And just to backtrack a little bit, a mind map should take you three to five minutes to do. So it's not as if I'm asking you to invest hours of time in mind mapping. These are really fast, easy tools to use. So do a second mind map if the first one hasn't inspired you to write. And if the second one doesn't inspire you, well, then do a third. And if the third one doesn't inspire you, what am I going to say? Do a fourth. You know, just keep mind mapping. If it takes you three to five minutes to do a mind map, you could do 10 in half an hour. And that's way more interesting and way more useful to you than sitting and staring at a blank screen.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that one of the things that as you brought this up, I thought about was like the idea of presentations and with slide slides. So many slides are filled with so much information that they're overwhelming. uh, Right. Whereas, I mean, all they're meant to do is give you prompts or cues Mm -hmm. or keep you. If you think about it in the same. So if you if you're wanting to start writing, you've been struggling with that. Think about it from that perspective. I want to I want to wrap things up by asking, coming back to that two part question where I said, you know, like you had, you had triplets, <laughs> you, had, you, had, you had a lot of stuff going on in your head. Like, how did you manage to kind of keep the, the flywheel spinning in the right direction with back, like back when, when maybe they weren't as self self-sufficient, but also yeah. even to this day, because it's not like you slowed down, right? No,
0: correct. Correct. Yeah, I haven't really slowed down. So I'm trying to remember how old my kids were when I wrote my first book. I think they might have been 10 or 11, something like that. And so the thing about writing a book in particular, but really any type of writing, is that the writing itself shouldn't take that long. Remember, it's only 20% of the time. Mm -hmm. The other 80% is spent doing stuff That is integral to the writing process and the planning stuff can often be done while you're doing other things. So I might have been, you know, cooking dinner for the kids and thinking about what the next chapter of my book was going to be. And that is still writing work. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, And in terms of the actual writing, and then eventually the editing, when I got to that stage, this is where being a morning lark was intensely helpful to me. I would start work at 6am every day, and I would spend the first 30 minutes of my day working on my book. Well, the kids weren't up at that point. So it was quiet time and my clients weren't up, or at least they weren't working, or at least they weren't calling me at 6am. So I was able to get a really solid half hour of work on my book before I had to deal with kids, before I had to deal with clients, before I had to deal with anything else at all. And that's what allowed me to do it.
1: Well, what's interesting is for me, it's the inverse because I'm still a night owl. And I, I, I've, it's, I've been that way forever. And it, that may change. I know that, you know, <laughs> science shows that the older you get, the, the earlier you will get up and the later, the earlier you will go to bed. Um, yeah. There's a lot of science around that. But for me, it's like when the kids are in bed mm-hmm. at night, and my wife's mm-hmm. in bed at night. I know that I have that time. Not only yeah. that, but, and I mean, we're both on the West coast. I also know that there's nobody up on the East coast. So <laughs> in the morning when I get up, you know, whether yeah. it's 6 AM, 7, a.m., I've got clients on the East coast that are emailing me because they've been up for three hours already. Yeah. So for yeah. me, that's the way I've kind of conditioned it. But like you've, like you said, there's no wrong. The, the only wrong way is like there's certain fundamentals that you talked about and, and we touched on, but there, I mean, the process you you make it your own with those fundamental rules. Like, and again, the biggest piece, if you're listening to this right now um, and you are a writer, I mean, obviously you're listening to this right now, but if you're a writer and you're like, I want to write, I want to know how the biggest piece that, that you've shared that I, I struggle with to this day. And I think oh, is the crappy first draft just, and yeah. it, and if, and the way that one of the ways that I found that, that, that's been helpful and this will lean into how we wrap up is an edit, If you have an editor, it makes it way easier for you not to edit because <laughs> you know that that's yeah. what they're supposed to do. Yes. Um, Daphne, this has been a great conversation. Um, I, I hope that uh, I hope you had a great time. And, oh, absolutely. And where where can people pick learn more about you uh, and and pick up some of the stuff that you have to offer? Because there's a, there's a lot more that we didn't touch on in this episode that I think people should explore.
0: Yeah, so my 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 website is www.publicationcoach.com. And there are thousands of articles you can read on my website that are entirely free. So uh, anybody who's interested in learning more about writing should go to my website, look through it. I have a on the home page. you scroll down to the bottom, there are a bunch of links that subdivide those articles into various categories like how to write faster, how to be more creative, how to be more productive, I think is one of them. So explore the articles that way. I have a free weekly newsletter that goes out every Tuesday. I have subscribers all around the world. So sign up for that. And if you do sign up for that, you'll also get my little booklet on mind mapping, which many people find incredibly helpful.
1: Daphne, thanks for joining me today on the Productivities Podcast.
0: Thanks, Mike. Great talking to you.